It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the man who this show is named after because it's time for the Chronicles of Nania. He is somebody who is on pace to break the all-time Jets record for most sacks by a guy gathering stats in a single season, Mr. Michael Nania. What's going on, Michael? <laughs> Not too much. I'm, I'm just enjoying this two-game winning streak. And you know what? A blowout win at that we do not get a lot of these as jets fans so it, you got to enjoy it's not often when you're a jets fan that it's the third quarter there's eight minutes left and you're kind of just you know waiting out the game like already finished with watching just kind of the energy's out and not because you're getting blown out or because you know all this ridiculous stuff has happened but because the jets have already got the game wrapped up it's not something you see too often so definitely enjoy that and uh, now we got a really interesting game here against the Raiders coming up at home. A, a good team that's playing really well. So it'll be a good test on both sides uh, for the Jets, who have been uh, playing a lot better on both sides of the ball the past two weeks. The two players that have played the most prominent role in the Jets getting that blowout win and who would, I assume, play the most prominent role in a victory over the Raiders should they get one are Sam Darnold and Jamal Adams. A lot of stuff on them this week, Michael. We've got some great statistics on both of them. Let's start with Sam Darnold. Talk to me about what you dug up on the Jets' second-year quarterback. Yeah, so so what we talked about with Darnold a lot on this podcast, you know, even especially before the season, uh, before anything else even happened, when the Cowboy, when he had that Cowboys game a few weeks back, is his high point production is what has made him, you know, really special. And you can look at the New England game he had this year. You can look at the Miami game last year, Miami game this year, as even that one, uh, throwing the Jacksonville game. If, if you look at his low points, I mean, his low points are, you know, some of the worst that we've ever seen. You look at that Patriots game. Uh, you look at the turnovers he's had. So, uh, but what he's done at his best, you know, that Cowboys game, and now what he's done these past two games against the Redskins and just the number of really impressive performances he's racked up now over his first two years, those, you know, those numbers are up there with some of the best to ever do it. Some uh, guys who had really good starts to their career and went on to be really good players throughout the entirety of their careers or uh, among the players, you know, who are young right now, guys who start off well and now are MVP candidates. So, uh, Darnold with this game against the Redskins did add to a few totals of games that he's uh, really impressive benchmarks that he's hit at a very frequent rate early on. So this was his fourth career game with over nine yards per attempt on at least 30 pass attempts, giving him the most ever before turning 23 years old. And no one else has even done it more than twice uh, before turning 23. So also it was his fifth career game with 100 passer rating uh, over a 100 passer rating on at least 30 attempts. Also the most ever 
before turning 23. And that 30 pass benchmark, I think, is important because, you know, the more passes you're throwing, the more valuable your production is because, you know, equal efficiency uh, at, at higher volume obviously has more value just because you're being asked to do more, required to do more just by the circumstances of the game. So uh, the fact that he's been able to have so many games where he's been really efficient, but doing it at a high volume because guys like, and not to take away from Lamar Jackson, who is probably the MVP front runner right now, but a lot of his best games, he's only throwing about 15 to 20, sometimes 25 passes. So it, it is easier to put up great efficiency when you don't have to throw as much. But for Darnold, a lot of his best games, he's had to throw, you know, over 30 passes, has been asked to do a lot, and he's still been able to do it. So fifth career game with over 100 pass rating on 30 passes, most ever before t- turning 23 years old. And, you know, there's not a huge sample size of guys who've actually, you know, been as young as Darnold. That's why he's been able to set so many of these records in terms of, you know, what he did last year, 21, now 22. But if you raise that by a year, guys who've been able to do uh, what he's done over nine yards per attempt on 30 plus pass attempts before turning 24. Then he's with some great company. The only other guys who've done it over four times like Darnold has would be uh, before turning 24 would be Sean Watson, Dan Marino uh, and Dan Marino, who was putting up modern day passing numbers back, you know, decades ago, uh, just a testament to him. But Sean Watson, Dan Marino, Matt Stafford, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes, the only other guys to have at least four games with over nine yards per attempt on 30 pass attempts before turning 24. So uh, we talked about this a lot. What he's been able to do at his peak has just been historically great. And the frequency with which he's, uh, which he's done, it's not like he's had just, you know, a game here and there where, you know, this game just puts him in a league company. It's the fact that he's been racking up so many high efficiency, high volume performances as one of the youngest starting quarterbacks in the history of the league has been really impressive. And as that stat shows, he's in great company with guys who have done that. And, you know, it doesn't guarantee that he's going to be good. Like we've said, you know, his worst games are right there. Some of the worst players ever. And, you know, overall his numbers uh, up to this point of his career are really not that great, but it's, it's more about what you're just seeing, you know, watching him on the field, seeing these flashes against, you know, when things start to click on the offensive lines a little bit better, when the run game's better, uh, that he's shown you how great he can be when he's not dealing with, you know, horrendous circumstances that almost no quarterback uh, could possibly overcome. But, uh, just to see his high points uh, this early in his career, because, you know, you hope in the future, you know, if the Jets are going to be good at all in the future, they're going to have to be better than this. Doesn't mean they will be, but, you know, ideally, if you are going to compete for playoff appearances, playoff wins, Super Bowls, you're going to have to build a better supporting cast than what they have. So you just want him to be able to show you that, you know, with his peaks, you know, when things are going well, that, you know, hopefully down the line, when you do get a good team, he is capable of being uh, that consistently good. So to see him put up, you know, so many of these great performances so early in his career uh, has been really impressive. And, you know, even from a Jets fan perspective, we talked about uh, what I just mentioned, having four games with over 90 yards per attempt on at least 30 passes. That's only been done, a, that's only been done twice ever uh, by Jets quarterback over their first two seasons in the league. Joe Namath was responsible for both of those. So, you know, it's not something we've seen a lot of Jets quarterbacks having these impressive performances uh, or this early in their career. So, it's been really impressive to see him put these performances together. And obviously consistency is the key for every single athlete ever, but especially with Darnold, the guy who's Jody, some really low lows, but his highs have been more frequent and, you know, just as impressive as uh, games like the Patriots have been bad. So, you know, the Redskins and giants are not great pass defenses, but you know, last year against, you know, better teams again, going head to head there and Rogers playing against the Texans, good defense uh, he, going on the road against the Lions in that first game. He's now had, 
some really, really impressive performances uh, about, you know, a quarter of the time throughout his first 20 starts in the league here. So uh, going up against the Colts last year. So he's had so many really good games. Uh, it's just about putting it all together. And he's got a really good chance here down the stretch of the season uh, with some easy opponents. They do have some tougher ones later in the season. And of course, you do want to see him play well against them. But uh, him proving that he can dominate these bad teams is just as important as showing he can compete uh, with the good ones. Because if you're going to make the playoffs, you're going to win divisions. You have to be able to dominate the competition that's below you. And uh, right now, he's doing a pretty good job of that. Obviously, not too good against Miami and Jacksonville, but uh, he's got a lot of time left uh, to prove uh, that he can have a bigger, a big second season, take a big step, uh, step up from that first season. So, uh, just another with that with this game against the Redskins, another high level performance for him uh, within just his first twenty starts in the league. Michael, I love the fact that you're putting it in the context of players who were at quarterback before the age of 23 because what a lot of people forget is back in the old days, players didn't play right away when they were a quarterback coming out of school. They would sit for a bit. It could be a season. It could be two seasons. It could even be three seasons. We saw Phillip Rivers sit. Eli Manning didn't even play right away. You go back with the Jets. Chad Pennington's an example. You go back even further, and you see guys sit and learn and watch, and they don't come in right away. Sam Darnold is playing at 21 years old, long before most quarterbacks in NFL history would have ever been on an NFL field playing in a real live game, and he started right off the bat. He didn't even wait a single game. So it's really interesting to me to see what he's able to do with his high highs. Now, as you said, he's had some low lows, but to be able to do some of those things at such a young age is really quite remarkable to me and shows me that if they can harness this great talent that he's got, if they can keep him from making the boneheaded mistakes that sometimes make us scratch our head the way that he did in this last game, that one pass that he made in the Redskins game that got intercepted where he was throwing off his back foot and his mechanics were poor and it looked like he just was chucking it up for the sake of chucking it up. If he can stop doing stuff like that, you could be looking at a situation where the Jets are set at quarterback for a really long time. And let's be real about this, Michael. It has been decades since the Jets have been set at quarterback for a really long time. Ken O'Brien was a quarterback for seven years. Chad Pennington had a nice run. But I'm talking about a 10 to 15 year high level starter. That is something we haven't seen since the only other guy that was on your list in terms of Jets quarterbacks that were making impactful plays before the age of 23. That, of course, Joe Willie Namath. Yeah, and his age is a really important part of just evaluating him and his progression because, uh, you know, like you said, it's uh, something that, you know, a long time, you know, before the past few years, it really wasn't, it was very rare to see guys, you know, play uh, as early as Darnold did as often as, as often as we're seeing these guys play now, you know, every first round quarterback who was taken five of them last year uh, played immediately in their first, or, well, not immediately, but they did uh, start in their very first season. And that did not used to be the norm. So there isn't a really uh, too large of an example of guys to compare Darnold to guys who have played, started as many games as he has uh, as young as he is. He was the youngest opening day starter in the history of the league. But, you know, like you said, Joe Namath is the only other Jets quarterback who has had four touchdowns in a game uh, before turning 23 years old. So it's uh, not something we've seen a lot with the Jets, but really with any team, uh, guys playing this young, as young as he is, and now in his second season, still only 22 years old, j- younger than Joe Burrow, who's going to get drafted high next year. He's a couple days younger than 
Daniel Jones, who he just played against and beat a couple weeks ago. So it's really interesting. And because, you know, in recent years, the precedent, the precedent has been set that, you know, guys like Mahomes, Goff, Wentz, even Trubisky did win some games last year. But Deshaun Watson, these guys have had these huge second years. Now Lamar Jackson's doing it. These huge breakout second years. And that's kind of been the expectation that's been set by these guys. And it kind of makes it seem like, you know, if you're Darnold, if you're Mayfield, uh, if you're Josh Rosen and you're not breaking out in that second year, you know, then like you're cooked and you're not going to be good just because we've gotten so used to seeing these young quarterbacks do this over the past few years. But that was never the expectations. Uh, quarterback progression used to be much more elongated than, you know, guys like Mahomes and Wentz have made it seem over the past few years. So uh, it could be, you know, the, pre- you know, the, the norm going forward, but more than likely, and the guys I just mentioned, I only mentioned a handful, you know, you have Mahomes, you have, Jackson this year, you have Watson, Wentz, Goff. Uh, so that's like five guys right there who have had these big breakout second seasons over the past couple of years. But that's not enough to really change what, you know, the expectation has been throughout the history of the game that you know, quarterback progression has taken a couple of years uh, for guys to really hit their peaks. These uh, expectations have really been raised uh, in the past few seasons. So especially for a guy like Darnold, who is uh, much younger than most other quarterbacks at uh, his stage, at the stage of the career that he's at. Uh, he definitely has more than uh, two years to get going. And, and you know, it, you do have to you know have expectations at some point. If in his third year he's still, you know, playing well below average, then that's a problem. But uh, it, it doesn't mean uh, just because uh, some of these guys have set the bar so high uh, with second uh, big second years over the past couple of seasons, it doesn't mean that has to apply to every single quarterback. Some guys can still have that longer progression and just kind of take their time. Uh, to get going. And, you know, I think with some of these first round guys, we have a chance to see that Josh Allen has been, you know, still not good in his second year, uh, you know, below average, but he has gotten better and he does have the potential to continue getting better going forward. Baker Mayfield had a big first year. And of course he is uh, older than most of these other first round guys over the past few years, but he's taken a step back. Doesn't mean his career is over. He can bounce back and, you know, finally build on his rookie season and his third year, just like Sam Darnold uh, might be able to. So, uh, I think really the perception of quarterback, just the quarterback career arc has changed a lot uh, because of some of these huge seasons we've seen in recent years, but that that's really not the way it has been for quarterbacks uh, throughout the course of football history. And I don't think a couple of guys having these big uh, second years should really change uh, the expectation until it becomes like a regular norm. Cause it's only been a couple of years that we've been seeing this uh, from some of these star quarterback, uh, young quarterbacks breaking out. But, uh, until it happens for a really long time, it's just a recent trend because throughout football history, we've seen a lot of guys take their time uh, getting up. And and that's the reason we see so many of these young quarterbacks set all these records for, you know, rookies, young guys uh, below 23. It's because, you know, most of the guys who are elite in the, uh, in the league right now, you know, your Brady's, uh, your Breeze, your Peyton Manning's, those guys either didn't play at the start of their careers or they were really bad because it took them time to, you know, hit their stride and start playing elite football. So, uh, it, it definitely is uh, something that's changed the perception of quarterback progression. And I think uh, I think people really should understand that, you know, it would be nice to see these guys have these huge second years. And it's definitely possible. And you would uh, a lot of guys have proved capable of doing it. But just because you're not having it, it doesn't mean that your career is over in your second season. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's talk about Jamal Adams, Michael. This is a guy that a couple of weeks ago had angered a lot of fans, and people legitimately wanted him traded after the whole mess at the trade deadline. And all of a sudden, over the last two weeks, he has transformed himself because he struggled against Miami. And these past two games against the Redskins and Giants, he all of a sudden now is on a record-setting pace. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like it, such a quick turnaround. Talk to me about what you found stats-wise with Jamal Adams, because it's really incredible. Yeah, so he got to 11.5 career sacks uh, with his three against the Redskins. That's the most ever by defensive back. Uh, over the first three seasons in the league. Obviously, we still have six games left, and he's already uh, set that record by over a sack and a half uh, over the previous record holders who, I forget their names, but they uh, set the record way back in the early 80s. So a longstanding record for sacks over the first three seasons by a defensive back. That record belongs to Jamal Adams now. Uh, his three sacks in that game were tied for the most ever by a defensive back in one game. Seven other guys have done it. None of them were Jets, so single uh, single game record for sacks by a defensive back. Uh, he's just the third DB to have two over two sacks and back to, or at least two sacks in back to back games. The last guy to do it was Aaron Beasley for the Jaguars back in 2000. And six games left, obviously, Jamal Adams has already set the single re, uh, single season record for sacks uh, for, by Jets defensive back, uh, which was previously held by Kerry Rhodes. I believe he had five uh, in his best season, which was the Jets record. And it's already the fifth most sacks by defensive back. In a season, we still got six games left. I, I believe the record for that is, uh, I think it's eight. So he does have a good chance of breaking that. So um, really with the sacks, he's just been all over the place these past couple of weeks. And, you know, they were impressive rushes. And we really seen the past uh, because really when, when Adams was kind of starting, you know, not slow, you know, he's still really good to start the season, but just not quite as dominant as last season. One of the things he wasn't really, you know, one of the areas where he really wasn't producing as much as much was in the past rushing game. He wasn't, uh, he was rushing about as often, but wasn't creating quite as much pressure as he was last season, but he's totally made up for that in these past couple of weeks. Uh, and the sacks really stand out, but it's just, he had another hit in this game on Haskins. That was really hard. So 
Uh, the pressure has been there. He's, you know, converted, you know, his, the times he's gotten home, he's really turned it into big plays just with his incredible motor. And it's more than just uh, what really makes his pass rushing special is that he's not just, you know, a fast guy who they're bringing at the right times and he gets sacks because the blitz is well-timed. You know, he can rush. We're seeing him, you know, a running back, running backs cannot block him at all. He knows how to beat people. He knows how to use his power. He knows how to pursue the quarterback and bring them down. He's got, you know, pure ability as a pass rusher. He might be the Jets' best edge rusher, and that's probably not even a joke. So um, even though pro football focus graded Jordan Jenkins higher for having half as much pressure on twice as many pass rush snaps, I think Jamal Adams might have a legitimate case to be the best edge rusher on the New York Jets right now. But uh, these sack records are just just incredible. He's over these past couple games, uh, and it doesn't even seem like much. You know, five sacks is you know, obviously tremendous for a defensive back. Like we're seeing these records, but I mean, nobody has been able to do the stuff he's doing right now, uh, racking up sacks at this rate. And not just these past two games, because, you know, these are career records too. He's setting, he had, uh, I believe three and a half over his three and a half last year and two in his first season. Uh, so he's really been picking up this pass rushing. And even if you look at his quarterback hits are up there as well. And his pressures with some of the best of all time. So it's not just the sacks, it's the total pass rushing production. So, uh, what he's been able to do this, and we talked about it a ton last week too, with what he's done with other stuff, tackles for loss, passes defended, uh, run stuffs, things like that. But just the big playmaking that he's been putting forth is completely unprecedented. And and we already said that last week, and then he came out and bettered his two sacks last week with an additional one this week uh, and another quarterback hit. So uh, he has just been unreal these past two weeks. Uh, like you said, he made some mistakes over that road trip against the Jaguars and Dolphins, but he's more than made up for that over these past couple of weeks with uh, one of the best two-game stretches you'll probably ever see uh, from a safety in this league. Just to continue what you were saying, Michael, and put in perspective how elite these numbers are, you mentioned that he's only the eighth defensive back to get three sacks in a single game. The record holder is Todd Bell, who set the record in 1983. Beyond that, Carnell Lake, Adrian Wilson, Lawyer Malloy, Mike Hilton, Rodney Harrison, Troy Palomalu. That's pretty elite company. Those were all really, really good safeties. You're talking about Pro Bowl level. So Jamal Adams really settling in nicely. And then we talked about the fact that he has a chance to break the single season record for most sacks by a defensive back. Right now, that record is held by Adrian Wilson, who had eight in 2011. Jamal Adams has six with six games to go. So it's not easy. He's made it look easy the last two weeks. But it's possible that Adams could not only eclipse Adrian Wilson, but also become the first defensive back in NFL history to have double-digit sacks in a season. That's wild. He would also become the first Jet to have double-digit sacks since Muhammad Wilkerson in 2015 if he were able to accomplish that feat. So what an incredible stretch here for Jamal Adams. Yeah, and, and I think it, over these next couple of weeks, I think we're definitely going to see a lot of teams like because this is so unprecedented what he's doing. You know, like you said, he's you know has a really good chance to set the single season defensive back sack record and maybe hit ten sacks, become the first defensive back to do that. I think we're going to see teams really you know put a lot of effort into stopping him. You know, roll tight ends over to his side, keep the back there and pass protection. Really, you know, put some assets into making sure he can't. Uh, ruin a quarterback's entire afternoon with his pressure uh, with the, you know, with what he's seen the past couple of weeks. So, and you know, even if the sacks go down, I think if teams are doing that, that's having an impact. If you have to leave your tight end, you're running back in to pass protect. It's one less guy, two less guys. Uh, it, it's just less hands out there to potentially catch the football. So, and that 
has a positive impact ripple effect for the rest of the defense and it hurts the offense if you have to you know allocate so much help to you know stopping a safety from getting home to your quarterback so uh, I, d- I do think we'll see a lot of that and and that's why it is uh, has been so hard for these uh, for defensive backs to get this many sacks is because you know if a guy is you know proves he can be as dangerous as Jamal Adams has proven he uh, could be over these past couple of weeks usually when that happens you see teams you know make sure that this isn't going to happen anymore. And that, and that's really the case with any position when a player, you know, really proves that they're an unstoppable force teams are going to make sure they stop that guy. And then that's going to have a positive effect or a ripple effect on the rest of the team. Like if you, you know, double team a receiver, then someone else is going to be open. If you double team a pass rusher, uh, then you got less people out there uh, to get open to catch a pass. So uh, if he, if he can continue, you know, have another two sack game, it would just be uh, definitely be the first, a three-game streak of two sacks ever for a defensive back. He tied the record for sacks by a defensive back. Still have five games to break the record. It would be absolutely incredible. But even if he doesn't, I think that you know if he's not, then it's probably because Oakland is really making it a point to shut him down, not let him make an impact as a pass rusher, and that's probably going to have a really positive, uh, really positive effect on the rest of the defense, which is going to have you know enough of a challenge against this really good Raiders passing attack. So if Adams is able to, you know take away some options in the passing game just by forcing the tight ends, the running backs to hang in there and pass block just so he can't get home, create havoc in the backfield. And that's going to help out everyone else uh, in coverage against this really good offense. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Let's stay in the secondary now, Michael, because Jamal Adams has been incredibly impressive, and we know how good of a player he is. But two guys that have kind of emerged the last couple weeks and played better than expected are Arthur Millette and Blessing Austin at cornerback. The Jets have struggled at cornerback all season long. And to be fair, as we've said, it was against two bad teams, and it's a small sample size, but a promising start for both Austin and Millette. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, this is not the the best competition in the world against two rookie quarterbacks uh, in the Giants and the Redskins. The Giants are missing Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram. Uh, The Redskins didn't have Paul Richardson and they were starting Dwayne Haskins. So uh, not the best competition in the world that you could be playing, but they did. We just saw a couple of weeks ago, Daryl Roberts and Nate Harrison get completely obliterated by Ryan Fitzpatrick and the tanking Dolphins. So uh, nothing is given no matter how bad the competition is you still got to show up and shut them down and and Austin and Millette have really uh, showed up over these past couple games obviously uh, against the Giants Austin replaced uh, Nate Harrison in his debut uh, Harrison gave up six first downs on 16 uh, snaps and coverage uh, against the Giants so he got benched Austin came in and he's really solid over the rest of the game Millette uh, played the entire game uh, because Daryl Roberts missed the game he was really solid uh, and then the second straight game here they were really good Against the rest against the Redskins, Austin was targeted six times, gave up only three catches for nine yards. None of those first downs. That was over thirty cover snaps. Uh, he didn't play in garbage time near the end. I'm not sure if he was hurt, but he didn't play over those past couple drives uh, near the end of the game. And Millette wasn't targeted a single time. Over forty three snaps in coverage, and he did take a bad angle on that uh, screen pass to Darius Geis, the touchdown he scored at the end. That wasn't garbage time, but 
Burgess was in coverage on that play, but Millette did have a chance to stop it. But overall in coverage, wasn't targeted a single time. So you look at their numbers combined over the past two games, Austin and Millette have allowed eight catches on 16 targets for 50 yards. That's 3.6 yards per target, which is less than, you know, the average rushing attempt in the league. Two first downs, that's only 13% of the targets that they've seen, which is, again, lower than the league average for rushing. So uh, throwing against these guys has basically been less effective than the average run play in the league this season. So that just goes to show how good they've been. And that's over combined 164 cover, uh, cover snaps, so they've given up only about .35 yards per cover snap between the two of them, which is elite. So, And over the past couple of weeks, I believe both of them and Brian Poole actually are top 10 and fewest yards allowed per cover snap. So, again, not good competition in the Redskins and Giants, but um, they've been up to the task. The Jets have seen a lot of guys play a lot of bad coverage throughout the preseason, uh, the entirety of this regular season. And then these two guys come out of nowhere. Millette, uh, these are the two highest defensive snap totals of his career. He only started one game before the season. That was with the Colts in 2017, I believe. And he only played about uh, half the snaps in that game as a slot corner, I believe. So he's playing full-time action outside for the first time. These are the first two games Bless on Austin has ever played. He didn't even play in the preseason. And, and they've been really solid. And you know, like we said, against Miami, Roberts and Harrison got toasted. So just because you're playing a bad team, a bad offense, uh, these are NFL teams, NFL players. If you're not covering well, they're going to take advantage. But uh, these two guys have been playing really solidly over these past couple games. And, you know, I do think there have been some uh, sometimes there were some drop passes. I don't think there are any drop passes in particular against these two guys, but the receivers did drop some passes. Haskins missed some throws. Uh, he was took some sacks he probably shouldn't have. So, again, bad competition. I don't know if they've actually quite been that dominant, but they have been really good. Uh, but we'll see against the Raiders this week, a team that's seventh in DVA pass offense, seventh in overall offensive DVA, uh, a team that's played really well. Derek Carr has been uh, probably having his best season. Their offensive line has really protected him well. He's been the least pressured quarterback in the league, and he's taken full advantage. So this is a good offense that Jets will be playing. And most particularly, it'll be a great test for these two guys who've been playing really well over a large sample of snaps over these past couple weeks against lesser competition, but it will be a step up this week against the Raiders. So Austin and Millette have been really good. And this is what the Jets really need to get out of these last six games. Other than Darnold, one of the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that can happen for the Jets is to see young guys step up at positions where they really need help, whether that be offensive line, although it doesn't look like much is going to happen there. But at cornerback here with these two guys, this is a huge position of need. So if Austin, you know, a guy they drafted uh, this season and Millette, who is, you know, a scrappy pickup, if one of these guys uh, who are both young in the early stage of their career can prove that over, you know, an extended time over the uh, end of the season, you know, not just two games, but playing strong over the entire second half of the season, uh, then you can really go into the offseason and feel like that uh, you have something at this position, uh, a building block in either Austin Millette or possibly both of them. And, you know, we did hope that would be the case with Nate Harrison. We'll see if he comes back this week. And, you know, we have to see if, you know, Austin and Millette actually start this game. I think they do both deserve it. If Roberts and Harrison come back, they've totally outplayed them. But uh, for the Jets down the stretch of the season to get some some young players to step up at positions of need, uh, would be huge, and cornerback is easily their biggest position of need on defense, and these two guys have stepped up out of nowhere uh, from Millette playing special teams all season, Austin coming off of IR, and giving them some of their best, arguably, you know, easily their best cornerback play uh, of the season to date. So they've been really good at taking 
taking full advantage of the bad competition, but a good offense is coming into MetLife Stadium this week, and they're going to have a really good test against Oakland. Michael, we've talked about the positives. We talked about Sam Darnold. We talked about Jamal Adams. We talked about Blessing Austin and Arthur Millette. Now let's end on a down note and talk about the offensive line. The stats that you dug up with them, not quite so positive. Yeah, and, and I, I was just kind of digging through it a little bit, and it just comes down to the simplest, as simple, uh, pretty much as simple as it can be with offensive line stats. Sam Darnold has been pressured, and this is from Pro Football Focus, 43, uh, 43.3% of his dropbacks. That's the highest in the league among qualified quarterbacks. Le'Veon Bell, and this is from Pro Football Reference, he's averaged 1.1 yards before contact per attempt. That is the least among qualified running backs. So your running back, your star running back, they just gave a huge contract to. He was getting fewer yards before contact than any other back in the league. And your, you know, prized young franchise quarterbacks getting pressured more often than any other quarterback in the league. So it does not get much worse than that. So, you know, plain and simple, we talked about the O-line a lot this season. And to be fair to them, they have played a little bit better recently. I think this game against the Redskins, they went over 100 yards on the ground for the first time all season, snapped a franchise worst nine-game streak without a 100-yard rushing game. So they were better in this game. I think Kelvin Beecham has been pretty decent since coming back. I think he's been credited with only two pressures allowed uh, in pass protection these past two games. And I think he really has played that well. Sometimes pressure totals can be a little bit misleading, but I do think he's earned that. He's been a boost since coming back. Uh, But overall, the offensive line has remained really poor this season. And they weren't even that great running the ball. They had that one drive where uh, Bilal Powell got a few good runs in a row. Uh, Bell had a handful of five to seven yard runs in this game. Uh, the fact that a decent run game uh, against the Redskins, who are a terrible team, is our you know streak breaker, our you know step forward, is just goes to show how bad they've been this season. And you know, true, and we talked about uh, Kelvin Beecham, uh, or I just talked about Kelvin Beecham, how he's played well since coming back. But the guy he's been replacing is the guy they pushed over to right tackle. That'd be Chuma Idoga, and he has really struggled after. Uh, a nice start to his career in his first two appearances earlier in the season and, and in both phases of the game, Ryan Kerrigan got him for two sacks in the first quarter after having two sacks on the season to date. And Kerrigan's a great player has had a down season, but uh, still was able to get two sacks off Vidoga after having the same total on the entire season before that. So he's really struggled, but uh, just overall, it's really the numbers are obvious. And, you know, some, I think a lot gets lost in the mud when you're looking at sacks, uh, uh, when you're looking at stats, and trying to assign the blame to the offensive line. When you look at sacks, when you look at rushing stats, but when you separate it like this, you just look at pressure rate, you look at yards before contact, and it's still not entirely in the offensive line because you know running backs play different styles. Some guys put their head down, go straight up between the tackles. Some guys like to bounce outside. And then quarterbacks, you know, some offenses get the ball out quick. Some offenses don't. Uh, but with the Jets here, you have the quarterback who's taking the most pressure, the running back who's gotten the least space, before contact and it's just plain and simple that is it doesn't get worse than that for the offensive line and with Darnold too the Jets have not uh, they have tried to get the ball out quick and he's still been the most pressured quarterback in the league he's a, about middle of the pack and average release time but still is the most pressured quarterback in the league and and with Bell too you know he's the guy who's going to let the box kind of develop so uh, whatever space is there he's going to take full advantage of and he's still been uh, still gotten the least yards before contact per attempt in the league. So just a terrible indictment on the offensive line to be the worst in the league in both of those metrics. And those metrics are really good because, you know, like I said, even though, you know, and we talked about a lot, no number will ever truly capture anything in regards to football because there's so many players in the field, so many things going on. 
But uh, yards before contact and pressure rate are uh, two really good ways to kind of separate from total rushing and, you know, total sacks, because those are two things that the running back and quarterback have a lot more control over. But yards before contact and pressure rate are uh, a good way. Just look at the offensive line and the Jets being the worst in both of those is uh, pretty, pretty much sums up how bad that front has been this season. I loved how Joe Thomas broke that down a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about that on the show. But I do think that running stats tell a much better tale about what the offensive line is doing than passing stats because, as we've said, sacks a lot of times are a byproduct of what the quarterback does, whereas with running, if there's no holes for the running back to run between, there's not really much that's going on, especially with a player like Le'Veon Bell. If he's not able to do much, that tells you something about the offensive line. So, as we've said many times, Michael, this is a unit that Joe Douglas is going to have to upgrade in a major way in the offseason. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are holes everywhere. Uh, there, there really isn't someone on this team that going forward, you'd think that uh, they're a shoe in to be uh, a part of this unit going forward. You hoped it would be Edoga. He does not look good. Uh, he's not done enough to uh, to nail down a spot. He'll definitely be in the comp- in the conversation, in the competition, but hasn't been able to nail it down. Alex Lewis, after a, a really good start over his first couple games, he's also come back down to earth. Uh, Jonathan Harrison has not been good at center and Kelvin Beecham, you know, has been uh, what he is. I'm, I'm not sure his contract situation is. I believe the jets can cut him after this season, but uh, they, they have to get better at every single position and it's going to take uh, multiple years. It's not going to be fixed in one season. They can get a lot better next season, but the quest being an elite offensive line takes uh, multiple years of good drafting and, you know, maybe a good, free agent signing or trade pickup here or there, but ideally it's going to come through the draft. And, you know, that's why hopefully the jets can, you know, maybe trade down, get a lot of picks to uh, allocate a lot of resources to the offensive line. But, but like you said, I think that uh, sacks are not the best indictment on the offensive line because the Bengals are actually really interesting example this year. Cause even their pressure numbers, like Andy Dolan has not been sacked terribly often this season or taken pressure too often, but their average release time is about, uh, significant is significantly faster than any other quarterback in the league. And, you know, that just goes to show you that their offensive line, their pass protection is so bad that they've had to get the ball out, you know, way faster than anyone else just to make sure those guys can't hurt them. And then when you're getting the ball out that quick, you can't have a downfield attack. And that's part of why the Bengals have been so bad. So sack production isn't the best. It's a, it's a decent way to kind of look at it. If you're the best in the league or you're the worst in the league, uh, in terms of sacks, and there's probably a good chance your offensive line is really good or really bad, but you pr- you have to look beyond that and you know do do whatever you can because you know there isn't uh, not all uh, this data is available you know for free. So, uh, but just do the best you can do to just kind of research you know just search on Twitter, just search on Google pressure rate stuff like that, uh, and try to figure out get as much data as you can beyond just the sacks because sacks are very much a quarterback thing, and uh, and like you said, the rushing production it definitely is a lot more. Uh, indicative of the offensive line than sacks are because, you know, like we've seen the Jets this year, Le'Veon Bell has been, you know, fantastic really, but he hasn't been able to produce anything because the holes just haven't been there. But uh, yards before contact is actually on proofoffballreference.com. They do have that. So anybody can go look at that. That's a good way to take a look at, you know, which running backs have been getting the most space to work with, which ones have been getting the least like Le'Veon Bell has. So uh, offensive line stats still improving, but you know, with the Jets, uh, all things considered, the the numbers are pretty clear. They back up what you see uh, on tape and what you see when you're watching the game every Sunday. That this has been uh, an extremely bad offensive line, and it's something the Jets have to uh, make their top priority going forward. 
safe to say that if you're going to the Jets Raiders game on Sunday, you're certainly not going to see the offensive line. That is not what is drawing you in there. But if you're a Jets fan, you should want to go to this game because there's a real chance they could pull the upset and win this. Always a good time when you buy tickets for a game and you think that the team has a real chance to win. And if you're going to go to the game, you want to get yourself some great tickets. And the best place to do that is at the Vivid Seats mobile app. You can get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME. You can use that code to buy yourself tickets for the Jets and the Raiders game this Sunday or any other event that's coming to town. The Radio City Christmas Spectacular is coming to town. There's wrestling shows, concerts, other sporting events, hockey and basketball, and so much more. You can get tickets for yourself, or you can go ahead and buy tickets as Christmas presents. Don't worry, won't tell anybody that you're getting their presents at a bit of a discount. Get a great deal on great seats right now when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code Overtime. You get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Last order of business, Michael, you and I like to make fun of these grades that PFF hands out because they have zero transparency. We don't know who's doing the grades. We don't know what goes into them. We don't know what the people are seeing that give the grades. And so it's a ridiculous process that often yields ridiculous results. And every week going forward, I want to end the show with a little look into the absurdity of these PFF grades. And I'm going to call this segment, what you're talking about PFF, because that's a tribute to the late Gary Coleman. Rest in peace, Gary Coleman, who of course played Arnold on different strokes. What you talking about? What you talking about? What you talking about? So, Michael, I know you've got a great one this week. What you talking about PFF? Yeah, so this, this was crazy. And we all these records we talked about, Jamal Adams, they gave him a lower grade in this game than James Burgess, who was toasted in coverage a bunch, uh, Adrian Peterson, who did pretty much nothing in this game, and Eric Flowers, who was a part of Adrian Peterson doing nothing in this game. All three of those guys had higher grades uh, than Jamal Adams. And even worse, I think, than this was probably the fact that Dwayne Haskins in this game got a higher grade than Sam Darnold did against the Giants. The week before, not in this game, Sam Darnold did get a better grade than Haskins in that game, but Haskins in this game got 70 something, which is pretty good, better than Darnold got against the Giants the week before, which just makes no sense. Haskins was not good in this game. He did absolutely nothing until garbage time. And then when he did produce in garbage time, you had guys take a, a long screen to the house. So, you know, Haskins did nothing on that throw. Then you had uh, McLaurin set up the next touchdown with a ridiculous catch, uh, basically stealing an interception from Marcus May. But uh, apparently he was better than uh, Darnold was against the Giants the week before when he had the third best QBR of the week. It is astounding where they come up with these grades. And like I said, we are going to call them out on the show at the end every week now, which we're talking about PFF, because how on earth you could have James Burgess with a higher grade than Jamal Adams after what we watched is practically the dictionary definition of ridiculous. So Michael and I will find absurd cases like this every week, and we will expose them at the end of the show going forward michael thanks so much for coming on and doing chronicles as always a great show and unlike pff we know exactly where you're getting your numbers how you do your breakdowns you're very transparent just as you are in all of the articles that you write for toj for elite sports new york for gang green nation for yard barker for odds checker for the 355 other places that you write so for those who want to check out your writing, in addition to hearing you on the podcast, where can they go to see what you're putting out there? 
Yep, on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. I tweet out pretty much all my links uh, to all that stuff and, you know, plenty of cool gifts and stuff of all the ridiculous Jets happenings and uh, great memes and all that nonsense. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to looking forward to the Raiders game this week. It feels like there's a little bit of juice into this game. You got a team that's chasing the playoffs and the Raiders coming into MetLife against a Jets team that's playing really well behind a quarterback that has played really well over the past couple of weeks. So uh, it should be fun in this game against the Raiders this weekend. You know, if they can win, then this is a team that, you know, has got, gotten themselves on a little bit of a roll uh, going into these past uh, final month of the season. So uh, I'm looking forward to this game. There's a little bit of energy back to this team. Go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania, N-A-N-I-A. Read his work in the 655 different places that he puts it out. But... Don't forget about Yard Barker, Odds Checker, TurnOnTheJets.com, Elite Sports New York, and Gangrene Nation. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn On The Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.